Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to episode 63 of the Relaxed Dog Podcast, sponsored by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you very much for finding this podcast. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog are well. Welcome to all the new listeners, and welcome back to all the ones that have listened to some of the awesome stories on here before. This week, my guest is a local, and that's Samantha Kay. But first, in some doggy news, have you ever been down on the beach and another dog has stolen and run away with the tennis ball that your dog is playing with? Frustrating sometimes. Well, Lucy and family were playing in a beach in South Africa when she stumbled across an octopus. Lucy dropped the ball um, and then, incredibly, the octopus grabbed the tennis ball and submerged. Lucy and family waited for around 20 minutes to see what would happen, but nothing did and now there's an octopus with a new toy. Over to the UK and entities Team Dogs and Pooch and Mutt got together to find out the UK's favourite dog breed. They uh, had an online poll out of 52 different breeds and their top 10 in order from 10 to 1 ended up Jack Russell, Cocker Spaniel, Border Terrier, Cockapoo, German Shepherd, number 5, Border Collie, 4, Greyhound, 3, Boxer, 2, Black Labrador, and number 1, Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Do you agree with that? Jump on the Facebook group if you uh, want to make a comment. And now is this week's interview. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. I'm here today chatting with Samantha Kay. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Robert. How are you? I am tremendous. <laughs> so, whereabouts are you in the world? We are in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales, um, just a couple in a little place called Allendale, which is about a kilometre from Lovedale. It's um, the vineyard country, so it's very pretty up here, even though we're in lockdown, lockdown at the moment. <laughs> it is a very lovely area, and it's not too far away from me, so I know no. I know the place. It's nice. And who are we going to talk about today? Um, we're going to talk about um, my first Labradoodle called Tilly, which a lot of people would actually expect me to talk about my current Labradoodle called Hercules um, because a lot of people know him. But I've chosen my first one because she sort of got me into training and it was because of her that I started training and became a trainer. So that's why I thought I'd talk about Tilly. Wonderful. So... 
as per usual, I'm going to ask you to take us back in time to be just before you guys connected and tell us about the hows and whys that happened. Um, I'd always grown up with dogs. They were always sort of rescue dogs, Um, never trained any dogs. It was sort of in the day when dogs just hung around in the streets and they all socialised and called in at the end of the day. Um, That was kind of how it ran. Um, Then when we had our daughter, Chelsea, Steve and I, we thought that the right age for her would be when she was a little bit older, as in you know, not a baby baby. She was probably about three or four and she had some allergies. So she had bronchiolitis. So we decided that the dog we should get should be um, like a a poodle or something, you know, a non-shedding type dog as far as that is, Mm -hmm. as much as that is. And we didn't get a poodle because my husband actually thought that at that time, I was fit and used to run a lot, and he thought that I would go and get a silly colour um, and pom-poms and pink ears and all of that sort of stuff done to the dog, <laughs> which I can't oh, hand on heart say I wouldn't do. And then I would maybe sprain my ankle, have an injury, and he'd be left running the dog around the very popular area that we have around the lake here where we were at the time. So I just because of that, I said, oh, okay, I can't promise I wouldn't do something like that, I suppose. Um, so I started to look into non-shedding breeds and I just so happened to, where I was working at the time, a gentleman came in with a Labradoodle, which was relatively new back then, sort of 16 years ago. And I just looked at this fluffy thing and it brought out all those happy endorphins and said, what is that? I need one of those in my life. Um, which was based purely on looks at that point. Um, But when I met that dog several more times, it also had a wonderful temperament. So that's when I sort of went down and that's when I got my first Labradoodle um, called Tilly. She was an amazing dog in many ways and such a pain in the butt in others. (laughs) So she brought me so much joy but I shared so many tears and frustration with her. So, um, Were you able to get her locally? Yes, I did. I did get her locally, but I didn't get her. So part of her problems were, um, or my problems, I suppose, were that I didn't get her till she was four months of age. So to start with, I missed out on that critical socialisation period. So she had seen nothing but a farm. Um, when I got her. So again, at that time, I didn't even know what a critical socialisation period was. I just thought, wow, four months, that's great. The toilet training will be so much further along. (laughs) (laughs) What a mistake that was. Um, And also at the time, we didn't know at the time though, she had um, Addison's disease, which is um, an autoimmune disease, which is a very slow disease to take um, when they have it, unless they have some some sort of trauma, health trauma or chronic issue, you don't notice it. So we always thought that she was a particularly calm dog, a very calm dog. She never really jumped. She didn't do any of that. And we just thought, oh, aren't we lucky when in fact she couldn't do any of that because um, she was gradually and gradually getting more and more muscle wastage. But because she was fit, um, Yeah, it was just went unnoticed. So she became um, very reactive 
towards other dogs. Mm. Um, and so at 12 months, of, she, she was fine at first and I think that was because I used to run a lot with her. So I didn't give her the opportunity to focus on other dogs. Um, we went to puppy preschool. She was she hid under the chair for the first four weeks and then came out and she was okay. Like She wasn't reactive then, but I saw some fear and I just thought, oh, she's just timid. Again, just not knowing anything. Um, then she, the more I had her around dogs, the more reactive she became. Um, she was no better sort of on lead than off lead. Um, everyone thought though that she was an amazing dog because she was a very, very loving, a very affectionate dog and very appeared confident to the very untrained eye at that time. Okay. So you, um, you, I would take her. Yeah, sorry. Gonna say, you mentioned she came from a farm and I'm taking a guess that say you got something like the a semi-rural or rural property as well? Yes. Yes. I mean, uh, um, yes, I didn't at the time though. I lived in suburbia when I had her. Okay. So she used to see quite a lot of dogs. If we were walking, yeah, she would lunge, she would bark. Um but if I was running with her, I think, again, looking back, it was because I didn't give her time to focus on other dogs approaching because we were running. Um, and then when we moved out to a semi-rural property, um, I would walk her every morning and she would just, you know, really go off when she saw other dogs. And so I went to see a trainer with her. Um, and I'll never forget it. We went to a class that was for aggressive or reactive dogs. Um, she hadn't bid anything at this stage, stage, but I sort of managed that, I think, rather than her choosing not to. Um, and we went to this class and I thought, oh, this will be great. Reactive dogs, we'll get this fixed. I'll do the course. It's four weeks and then I'm going to have a wonderful social dog. So I, <laughs> I, can, I can hear everyone cringing already. Um, and again, it was a lack of knowledge. It was a four-week course, so I just thought it was going to be fixed. And after the first lesson, I went, oh, my God, I never realised what a problem I've got here. Um, so the lady who did that class was, um, is, or not was, is a wonderful trainer. So I signed up to do private lessons with her and um, to get her confidence back. And she said, you've got to build that confidence up. Um, and then I joined a local dog club, which was wonderful in so many ways and it was really like everyone that knew Tilly thought that she was a wonderful dog. It was only really people at the dog club that would see her reactivity and she was an amazing dog at dog club. So we went through, I mean, I was, I used to do my homework though as well. I was, I was a great student <laughs> back then and um, I used to really do my homework. If I was told to do something, I would go and practice that. So we went along to dog club and we then realised just how quickly she picked everything up and we went from level one to level six in probably six months and level six was your com competition class of lead work. And because at that level she was around other stable dogs because if they were ready to compete, they were generally very stable. Um, she could work off lead in that class and she never, ever went to um, attack or went towards or be reactive towards another dog in that class. But if someone from class one came wandering over with their dog on a loose lead, not taking a blind bit of notice, then yes, she would go towards that dog. 
Um, so there was a lot of management around her and a lot of embarrassment, you know, because at one time when I first started at the dog club and having lack of knowledge, I had her on a very loose lead and didn't really have hold of that. And she went and she broke and she went after another dog. She never did anything. She just rounded it up and it sounded horrendous and it brought the dog club to a standstill. Um, but that lady was terrified. The other dog was terrified. I was so embarrassed. You know, it was a terrible situation. But there wasn't a fight. There wasn't a bite. But, you know, a couple of weeks later and ever since, that lady's always told me that her dog has never been the same. So you can imagine how that makes you feel as a dog owner. How, so I how used old to manage was- her. How old was Tilly when you started she, doing that um, with she, the dog club? She was probably about eight months old when I started with her. And then it was, we were doing, um, we were getting ready to compete um, in first level obedience. And I met up with, she'd had some vaccinations on, for example, Thursday. And By Friday, no, sorry, the story went, we had a lesson, say, on a Wednesday and the trainer was trying to get me to get her excited because she didn't seem to have any drive, but she was just good at doing what she, you know, needed to do for obedience. And we couldn't. She said, get her to jump. And she couldn't. I said, she doesn't jump. Well, when she managed to finally get her front legs up, she collapsed and got back up again, but she said she's got no muscle. There's no muscle in her back legs, which is very easy to miss when they're, you know, fluffy dogs with a long coat. Mm-hmm. So by that was the Wednesday. By the Friday, she was at the vets. So what had basically happened is she'd had her vaccinations, annual vaccinations on the Monday. But So by the Friday, her body actually couldn't cope with it because she had Addison's disease and it wasn't she wasn't medicated because we had no idea. So on the Friday, I was taking carrying her into the vets in tears, saying something's wrong, I can't even get her out of a crate. You know, she'd gone from, you know, being what I thought was a happy, active dog to not being able to walk. Um, and they did lots of tests and they said she's got Addison's disease. They did um, biochemistries every day um, and within a week, she stayed at the vets for a whole week. I went and picked her up and it was like I had a different dog. When they opened the pen, she actually ran towards me and jumped on me and a dog jumping on me at that point in time was the happiest day of my life, (laughs) you know, because she couldn't do it before and she'd collapsed. And, um, yeah, once she was medicated, she was a completely different dog. She was still a bit reactive, but only with the dogs that may jump in a, you know, jump up in her face and be on top of her. She would then tell them off. But her attitude towards other dogs, I think, because she felt well, was so much different. But, um, you know, the fears I had with her when we did our first obedience trial, and you have to, um, you have to do your, um your stays and we had to walk in and you don't get a choice. I can't say, oh, can I go on the end because my dog might break. She's a bit reactive. (laughs) I had to go in where my position was and then walk away and they're all off lead and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I don't know why I'm doing this. Why am I doing this? Um, And she was great. And she went from, you know, first level up to UDX and she got her obedience championship title. Um, 
by the time she was, I think, three and a half, she had that. She was just an amazing dog that taught me so much. But her reactivity also, you know, was so difficult for me as um, and I, as not being a trainer and not having any experience in that field whatsoever. It was very, very traumatic for me. <laughs> but again, like they all are at home and with people, she was absolutely beautiful, beautiful dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to just go back a little bit. So when, before you moved and her first sort of home environment, how was she when you, she first came into that home and what sort of rules and things did you have then? Um, she was fine. I had um, another dog at the same time. Um, my sister also lived on the property with dogs. She had two dogs and she was fine with those dogs. She would have certain friends. You know, I never had to manage her with dogs that she knew and felt comfortable with. Um, and my sisters, they were fine. The only thing that we noticed was going from suburbia and colour fencing to then going out to five acres, she'd bark a lot. So she'd really, really bark a lot because I think she could see too much. There was too much stimulation. So then we had to sort of put up some fencing and um, try to manage that as best we could. Um, because, yeah, dogs either side on other properties she could see and, yeah, she would just apparently bark a lot when I wasn't there. Mm. So we just tried to manage that by um, putting up different fencing. I mean, we weren't allowed to put up collar bond, but managing a sort of a penned area out, just outside of the house where that's the only place they could go to when we weren't there. Okay. So... So initially, did she was she inside or outside, or and did that change when you went to the oh, rural area? No, no, no. They were um, outside when we were at work, and then inside when we were home. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, all my dogs have been inside dogs unless we're not there. And um, and she could definitely not have been left alone in the house. Um, she was an extremely bad chewer. Um, I can't tell you what she's cost us um, in her first three years of life. Um, Yeah, she was horrendous. Like how she stayed alive um, with the things, again, bad management from me, but I'd never had a dog that chewed like that. So, yeah, the I think it was Christmas Eve. She was at the vet's because she'd eaten the entire rind off a ham, which I had removed and pushed into the corner of a bench in the kitchen, thinking she couldn't reach it. You know, well, she did, <laughs> <laughs> and she ate it. And as she was going out the door, I just saw her licking her lips, and I looked round to see it missing. So, yes, that was our Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> I usually wait till the end, but I'm going to ask them um, to complete the sentence. I can't believe my dog ate. Oh, what? Oh, probably um, all of the um, oh, the hosing all around the pool. We had a pool in our first house and she I left the um, gate open so she could go for a swim because that's really sensible, isn't it? This that might be part that I asked you to take out. Anyway, <laughs> I did, thinking that she would like to swim, not having a clue back then. And um, yeah, she pulled out the entire um, water system, watering system 
and chewed it all up. And when I came back, it was just chewed up across the lawn. She had chewed through wires and shorted out the um, entire um, electrical system of the house as well. Mm. So when I phoned, I didn't see that at first. When I came home and there was no power, um, I phoned Energy Australia and said, you know, we've got no power. And she said, oh, there's no problem in your area. And I looked outside to see that the water fountain, the leads were all chewed from that. And I said to the lady on the phone, oh, I think I found the problem. And she said, oh, have you got, so you must have circuit breakers. And I said, oh, I've got no idea. And she said, well, you must have because your dog would be dead. So I said, oh, okay. And then when I went out and saw the mess, I thought, oh, my God, when my husband comes home, you're going to be dead anyway. Dead or rehomed, I'm not quite sure. So, no, she wasn't. She wasn't and ran around trying to tidy up as best I could. Mm. What about other things inside the, the house that come to mind? Oh, just anything. And I've got my Hercules now is flying the flag for her because he is the same. I've had two in my life. But she chewed glasses, sunglasses. Um, We had a rule that she wasn't, it was a two-story house and she wasn't allowed upstairs and she was really good with that. Again, I think looking back, I don't think it was so much my training that she didn't go upstairs because I wasn't competing with her then. She was too young. I think it was more the fact of the muscle wastage and weakness that she the stairs would have been very difficult for her. Whereas I just thought she was incredibly, you know, well tuned into us and realised she couldn't go upstairs. So downstairs we ended up having an extremely tidy house um, because nothing could be left down. Um, nothing at all, but dog beds, anything, any nice comfy things that we wanted to leave for her outside when we weren't there were chewed. Um, you know, I used to lace everything with lavender oil and um, eucalyptus oil to, to, to prevent the chewing. Mm. So, yeah, any, anything. I remember um, slicing up chicken and moving it away from the bench whilst I attended to Chelsea who was doing something and coming back and thinking I was going insane because the chopping board would be there and the knife would be there all lined up and nothing was out of place except the food was missing. So she was she, she was so good. She was so good at it that she messed with your mind. <laughs> Mm. There are ever any sort of like rushes to the to the vet? Oh yes, yeah. So um yeah, for the ham, um that was all good. Um another time I'd pull this was my fault, I'd pulled some treats out of my pocket and was letting her have them out of my hand because she'd done something great. And then I realized that they were um there was a $2 coin in that and she'd eaten it. And when I phoned the vet, they said, yes, she does need to pass that. So I offered Chelsea, I think it was $5 to pick up her um, poo for the week and to report in. Anyway, I don't even think she wanted it for that much money. Um, (laughs) But uh, no, we never found it and we x-rayed it and she'd passed. So that was good. But most of the time it was... It was just chewing and we had very good management around it. But, yeah, anything you left down, like people would come in and take their shoes off and we'd go, no, keep your shoes on. It's much safer. (laughs) (laughs) We weren't precious about having shoes off, um, but at the time it was a new house and everyone seemed to think so. And you would would walk out and there would be one shoe gone. 
<laughs> yeah, you mentioned she chewed on her bed. What were her sleeping arrangements? Um, all of my dogs have been crated. So um, she was fine in her crate, but she couldn't have comfy, you know, like nice plush things in her crate. She would just have to have layers of towel or vet bed. So, yeah, no comfy beds, otherwise it was like a snowstorm. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Mm. Um, what about when she was outside when you moved to your rural area? Yes, she chewed the dining, the outside dining table and all the chairs. Um, not to pieces, but just enough, yeah, to be able to see. We used to use and spray it with um, eucalyptus, um, but that didn't actually work. And we went to then a product called Crib Stop, which is actually for horses that windsuck and chew on fencing. And you, you actually apply it with a mask because that's how strong it is. Um, but after nearly choking, all of us nearly choking to death trying to apply it, we sort of felt maybe we'd just remove the table. <laughs> it was easier. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> yeah. She was special. <laughs> um, Travelling in the car, did she have a use a crate or did she have a, a spot? No, she it? was... Um, no, she would just be tethered. She was fine travelling. Um, we used to travel to Sydney a lot and sort of up to Port Macquarie, that sort of distance, um, to do obedience competitions. And she could even dra- travel in the car with a dog that she would be competing with because at that level the dogs were pretty stable. So if they were stable dogs around her, she would actually be really good. She was fine with them. So we would, you know, tether one on the back seat and one in the sort of um, in right in the back of the cargo area um, and she'd be absolutely fine. Yeah, she was a good traveller and she was a great dog with other stable dogs But um, and they usually had to be that stable, you know, either very quiet dogs of a very gentle nature um, naturally or dogs that she would be competing with or even against because of being stable. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she had a setback when we were going through from level five to level six, and to do that, you had to do some off-lead work at the dog club. Um, and she was beside a gentleman with his dog, big German Shepherd, that I, we always used to say wore more hardware than Bunnings, had more hardware on him than Bunnings. <laughs> and the dog, the, the fellow wanted to progress to group six, and but he couldn't unless he went off lead. And they said to him, you know, he had like lots of different um, equipment on. And they said, is it advisable that you take that off to do it? And he said, well, I can't progress, can I, if I don't? So he did. And we were in a sit. Um, she was beside me. We were about to leave the dogs to do, to do a stay. And the dog eyeballed her. She actually took off, not after him, to escape and he got her and bit her and pinned her down. Um, Yeah, so luckily she had a little friend, um, a little Jack Russell cross, um, Foxy cross, sorry, who she absolutely loved and he he ran off after her and he split it. So it was a situation that was um, I think could have been a lot worse. Even though she was bitten through the neck, um, it could have been a lot worse. 
So that did set her back, I have to say, but we just kept going with the obedience. And um, at the time, I didn't make a fuss um, because I didn't know, because she had a big fluffy coat, I didn't know she'd been bitten. So the trainer that was there was the trainer I'd been using and working with. And she said, oh, no, she's okay. Come on, let's keep going. Let's make have some happy times. Let's have some fun with her. Don't worry about it. And I went, righto, righto. And I didn't think he'd bitten her. So had I known that, I'd have probably been a blubbering mess and made her worse. But because I didn't know, we just carried on like normal. The other dog was put on lead, obviously told never to be off lead again dog club and that was that and it wasn't until sort of half an hour later because she was white we saw the blood coming out and we went oh okay she's been bitten mm. so how old was she when she got to that level six she was only about 18 months and then we started competing with her um and she just went through um, and got her titles so very easily, again, leading me into a false sense of security because everyone kept saying how great she was, but I'd never competed, so I didn't know. She was a great dog, but the trainer said, I'll do this. I went and did it, and she did it. You know, um, she just learned very, very quickly, but I didn't know that wasn't normal until um, I was training our other dog that my husband used to train, and I took her one day. She was, when Tilly was desexed, she couldn't go to the dog club, and um, I took um, my husband's dog and that he trained. It was a great dog at home, and, God, it was so hard. She just didn't do it all. <laughs> and then I looked at some other dogs and tried to train them and went, oh, God, okay, she really... She really is good, isn't she? I thought, yeah, I had nothing to compare her to until then. So I didn't realise what a great dog and how quickly she learned. And, um, yeah, she she made it very, very easy. She made me look good. Like everyone went, oh, she's amazing, she's amazing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, thanks. So she did. She made me look good because she it was her ability. I, would, I just did what the trainer told me to do. And um, she did it very quickly, very easy, easily. Um, what type of yeah. uh, reward system did she respond to best? Um, food, food and praise. Um, because she was a massive chewer and usually, you know, more food lined things. Um, yeah, but no, her reinforcement for her was food and um, affection, lots of praise. She wasn't very, um, toy motivated um, in any way, but I also hadn't taught her that, to be honest. Um, and because she was very low drive, it was something that I kept trying to work on. But she was low drive when I was trying to work on that when she was actually sick, but we didn't know. Mm -hmm. So that's why it was very, very hard. And I'd been to a few seminars to try and um, help that and had lots of ideas, but I could never get that drive in her. Um, Mm. So anyway, we did afterwards when she got better, we started to use a ball a bit more. Um, but no, pr praise and food were her main reinforcers. And her favourite bits of food? Oh, God. Well, <laughs> this is embarrassing. Her favourite food would be bits like um, sausage and Devon and barbecue chicken. They would be her favourites. And I remember buying Devon in the supermarket and hiding it at the bottom of my trolley in case anyone thought that's what I was feeding the family. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these days I try to use 
much better rewards, you know, um, freeze-dried. We use Zee Peak and Provador and, and things like that that are really smelly but high value but so less processed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about um, games that you played with her? Um, the main game, I couldn't get her to engage again because of her being unwell. So then when she did get well, I tried with the, the tug toy. I didn't get a lot of success. I think she would do it because she could see me getting excited, to be honest. Um, and then it would be chasing me. I would make her chase me and that used to make her jump and get her excited and and that used to be a reward. So we would train and then the fun bit would be off lead chasing me you know, and then encouraging her to jump. Um, yeah, and she that would be really reinforcing for her. Oh, nice, nice to see that the mm. that the the human bond is a is a major reinforcer. Yes, yeah, it was with her. So it was people, as I said before, people that weren't at dog club used to think she was a truly amazing dog because she would be so affectionate and loving, and they'd come to the house and we would do bits of you know, what was in our UD um, competition level and they would go, oh, my God, you know, and like she went, she I caught her chewing a slipper once, but she brought it to me and started chewing. So I sort of put it on cue and said, oh, slipper, you know, and rewarded that. And the next, so she went and got the other one. And so then it became a household trick that when someone would come there, I'd say, oh, Tilly, go and get my slippers. And she'd go up the stairs and bring the slippers back, you know, but everything usually started because she was about to chew something and I would just (laughs) move it into something else. (laughs) So, Yeah. Um, apart from the, the the chewing, does she have other, any other interesting habits? No, that the chewing was something. I mean, the chewing was something I could manage, though. You know, you just have to manage that. Um, like my present dog Hercules is flying the flag to Tilly, and he's a terrible chewer, or was a terrible chewer till he was three, like really bad. And with having the boarding business when we first started here, we just had the raised beds. And he chewed through three of those in a day. Um, so we actually bought Coranda beds and we've had those for nearly seven years now and he can't chew through those. They told me he wouldn't be able to, otherwise it's a full refund. Um, yeah, so that's that. We, we had a lot more management around things. Mm-hmm. So... Mm. Would you say would be her favourite sort of walks or favourite environment to be outside of the home? It would probably be when um, we used to train because when we started competing, um, I realised that everything good, you know, I used to hear people say at dog club all the time, oh, my dog does this at home. It never does this when it's out. It does everything perfectly. And even when we started in the first level competition, people would leave the ring and say, oh my God, I can't believe my dog does this. It always does it perfectly at home. So we realised there was no point in training at home. Like I would teach things at home to initially. And then every single day that I trained her, which was probably five days a week, she we went somewhere to train and that's where she had her food. So she very rarely had any meals at home. Her meals would be at the end of a training session or during a training session at a park. I might drive a kilometre, I might drive five, I might walk up to the end of the road. Um, That's where all her food was um, or the majority of her food. And then, as I said, at the end of every training session, it was off lead and play. 
Um, so everywhere was her favourite place. Like home was where she got most of her love and then her other reinforcer, which was food, she had in all these different places. So, yeah, she was great. It was just scary if I was somewhere doing that and then somebody came in with their... I would normally choose parks, to be honest, that we weren't supposed to be in because then I would know there weren't other dogs there. Um, and I know that's a bit naughty, but I was very careful and I did have a very well-trained dog. I won't tell um, anyone. But if some, yeah, that <laughs> if she was the other side and I was doing a recall, I knew she'd come back to me and we could hop in our car and just quickly leave. And as much as I had a couple of rangers pull up at times, I think they they were more impressed with what she was doing than the fact she shouldn't really have been there. So I was very lucky that I managed to get away with it. But, yeah, I couldn't ever take her to a dog park. Um, but sometimes, you know, somebody would come in with their dog and go, oh, hi, you know, and let the dog off lead. And then I'd have to get her very quickly into the car because probably, you know, an untrained dog running towards her with someone screaming, oh, my dog's really friendly. It's coming to say hello. You know, every... Every trainer's pet hate whilst I'm trying to get this 25-kilo dog bundled up into the car before it actually took off after her. So, yeah, people, yeah, I used to manage that very well, but very scary times, you know, at, at times when I'd see a dog running towards us and I had her, you know, dogs off lead. Um, there were a lot of properties where dogs were out the front, um, you know, because there was no fencing. So I had to, again, had to pick my areas to walk so carefully. So careful. But, um, yeah, her favourite places would be where we would train, to be honest. We would go to a competition and um, she would love it because even if, we, if we, even if we bombed out, we would come out of that ring and it was party time, you know. It were drumsticks and her favourite food and that's when she'd get a tin of my dog or some other, you know, rubbish like that. But she was really heavily reinforced for being in the ring regardless of whether she did exceptionally well or whether she bombed out. So if she bombed out, it's because I haven't trained it well enough or there's been, you know, under too many distractions or something. But that's not her fault. Um, they don't have the ability to deliberately try and piss us off, do they? So she was really heavily reinforced regardless of how well she did or whether she bombed out. Um, and I know a lot of people thought I was crazy, but then my dog would go to that competition and go, oh, my God, we're here. This is where I get all that good stuff. <laughs> what do you think would, would have been her favourite parts or components of the, of the competition? Um, I think the higher up the levels she got, she enjoyed things um, where she had to come towards me. So when you send them out to the box and then you call her, you know, over to a jump to left or right um, and then the scent work, she had a great nose. She would ground scent and air scent. So she was very good at tracking back to find an article. Um, she loved going out and finding the articles. Um, something I think where she had to use her brain a little bit more. Um, her healing was lovely, but it wasn't, it, well, it was a formal heal, but she never had the head tilt looking up at me, but she was always very close by my side, but would just stay at my side. So I think that was something that we, we worked on and she was good at it, but it wasn't a fun thing for her. Whereas when she did the other bits, you could see by her energy that that was a lot more fun. So I know we've mentioned competitions a lot. So what formal competitions did she compete in? 
Um, just obedience. So she did, oh gosh, where does it start? CCD, CD, Open, um, UD, and then she got a OC title or obedience championship title. And then we did UDX. So she, when she did all of that, she was about, I think she was nearly four when she'd done it all. Um, and then I just started taking her to my workplace as a bit of a therapy dog. Um, for some patients. I worked in a physio practice and we used to come in and she used to come in with me some days. Um, yeah, and and just lay around and be padded. And um, she, you know, that was everything that she loved because she loved people. Oh, nice. So can you tell us a little yeah. bit more about the transition into that area? Um, well, it just kind of happened really because it was when she was de-sexed no, but that's when it started, when she was still competing. She was de-sexed and I didn't want to leave her at home when I was working because we had another dog and my sister had two dogs and they were all together during the day. So because of the wound, um, my boss at the time, she said, bring her into work. She can hang out here. She was a dog lady. And so she did. And that's when we saw, oh, everyone loved it. You know, that was so many years ago when therapy dogs weren't such a big thing, but everyone just loved having a dog there and especially one that was sort of, you know, mainly non-shedding. Um, yeah, and as I said, she would just waltz up to people, you know, give them a little nudge with her nose, let them pat her. She was very good with, you know, children, adults, elderly, anyone. Very, very nice. And that, mm. that in turn changed or the your direction in life as well? Oh, it made me realise, I think, how much I didn't know. <laughs> so then I suppose the progression on from her was the interest that I had. And even though I saw the benefits of the training um, of her, I, I absolutely loved the training too. I loved training her um, and I loved training the dogs and, I, you know, then training my husband's dog, I realised, oh, okay, that one's a bit more difficult, a bit more challenging. It actually wasn't difficult. It was just I'd had a really easy dog, but I really enjoyed doing it. Um, and then when we moved to the property here and people were asking me to train their dogs and then I sort of moved into training a lot of puppies. Um, puppies is my area of um, passion, I suppose. And... Uh, I thought, well, you know, I really need to get a qualification in this. So I did. I went and did the NDTF course with Glenn Cook. And that's when I thought, oh, my God, I sort of thought I knew stuff. And <laughs> it's made me realise how much I don't know. I don't know anything. So <laughs> it was really, really good. And I really, I did struggle with the course. You know, I was a mature age student. Um, I'd never really studied before. I wanted to, you know, put on a tutu. My, that was my dream, put on a tutu and be a ballerina and flit around the world in a ballet dress, you know, study. What was that? I don't need to study. I'm going to dance. So, um, yeah, to go and do study, like was, it was only probably, what, six, seven years ago now, I did struggle with it, but it was a great course and, and Glenn Cook was a great teacher, a really great teacher. And then I just did lots and lots of seminars and, um, and I do seminars, I attend seminars in other areas, like I, I think we were saying earlier, but um, aggressive dogs, even though I don't want to train those dogs or work with those dogs, um, I still like to learn about it. Um, and I always will recommend 
on. I know my skill set, I know my level, um, and aggression isn't one of them. So I always refer dogs on to people that are um, going to be so much better at it than me. Ah, very, very nice. But if it's puppies, yes, I'll take the puppies. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to Tilly and being the, the non-shedding, what about other grooming sort of areas. Is she all right with, with everything that needed to be done? Yeah, absolutely fine because she was with a person. Yeah. Um, but she wouldn't have been able to go into a grooming salon um, because of having other dogs there. So this was what was always so heartbreaking, you know, to see other dogs having fun together, socialising together, Um you know, watch, even though I hate dog parks now, I used to look at dog parks and have so much envy that I couldn't do that for my dog. Um, but, yeah, anything around dogs was just so much management and heartbreaking because I, I was always vigilant when I walked anywhere because of so many dogs being off lead. Um, yeah, a, a walk to me in an unknown area was never relaxing for me. Um, I didn't realise it wouldn't have been relaxing for her either. I thought I was just giving her a little bit more um, uh, mental stimulation and enrichment when in fact it would have been a lot of pressure for her because I could see how much better she would work when we went to more familiar areas. But I thought, no, you've got to go out, you've got to see more and more and you've got to see these dogs when it wasn't the best thing for her at all. Did she enjoy swimming? Yes, she did. She did, actually. Um, But again, I couldn't take her to the beach. So we had um, swimming pools in our first and second house. So, um, yeah, she would swim in in our pool um, and she would just, oh, we, we have very good friends up at Nelson Bay and they always used to laugh because we used to arrive at Christmas. Um, they had one dog and she was actually very, very good with their dog. Um, but she would, they would greet us. They would open the door. She would take herself out to the back and straight into the pool, do a couple of laps and then come back out. And it's like, oh, Tilly's here. So, yeah, she, she loved it. But um, I had, again, there were places I could take her where she could swim, but I couldn't ever take her to the beach. Mm-hmm. Do you think that had a lot of uh, influence on the way her physical, way her body was? With the um, the way, sorry, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, just is it Atkinson? Wasn't uh, lost it? Uh, Addison's, Addison's disease. On your yeah, side. yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um. No, only in the early stages when it was before it was diagnosed, which was probably when she was about eighteen months. Um. I think up until then it would she would have struggled, but it was after that that she then got stronger because she was medicated on a daily basis until and until she passed away. She was medicated for it, and then she looked and acted just like a normal dog. Oh, nice. So, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have known with with the medication, and um, she wasn't on a particularly high dose of it. Um, but she was then could, yeah, you wouldn't look at her and think that she was unwell in any way. Um, we didn't think she was unwell beforehand, but again, it was because she we she had always been what we thought was calm um, with a lovely temperament, apart from not liking other dogs, when in fact, I think the dog problem was one 
um, missing the um, early socialisation in that critical period. Um, and and two was the fact that it was a defence mechanism because she was weak. Mm-hmm. So she would get him first. Oh, absolutely, mm. yep, I agree with that. Yeah. So you do some other stuff with therapy dogs now, don't you? Yes, we have a um, therapy dog program. So we source... Um, puppies for um, schools. So that program has grown enormously in the last few years. So um, even though we breed now, we actually source puppies from um, other ethical, reputable breeders and we start to train them. Um, They come on board, we temperament test them, we have a look at them, we put them in certain um, situations to see how brave or confident they are. Um, because it is a big job. It's a massive job. Um, as I said before, I've got four dogs and only one of my dogs has passed my certification. The others could do the exercises required, but they haven't got the temperament to work in an environment where there's a hundred screaming um, children. So um, we also work with dogs, some dogs, because the Department of News, uh, the Department of Ed, New South Wales Department of Ed, have brought in new guidelines which will um, be enforced about dogs in schools because it has grown so much here. And there's so many dogs in schools that have had no sort of assessment, evaluation, temperament testing, um, anyone looking at them, and we're only waiting for an accident to happen and they'll shut down the whole program. And that would be really, really sad because the dogs are making such a difference in the schools. Absolutely. Yeah, some schools have already got dogs, so we're going out and looking at those dogs and having a look at their temperament. Um, And that's now enforced that it has to be um, either a trainer from assistance dogs, um, for assistance dogs, or it has to be an NDTF qualified trainer behaviourist that can look at the dog and say, yes, that dog is coping. Because a lot of people doing well, I should say, not even coping. Um, Because, you know, People think they've got a great dog and it's great therapy at home so they can take it into school and the dog actually may not be coping well at all, but they don't think so. Just because the dog's tail might look okay, they think the dog's going great. Um, So we go in and we have a look at them and we say, yes, we think we can work with this dog or no, your dog really isn't coping in this environment or no, you're not going to sit for an assessment when your dog's 10 years old. Um, Let's retire the dog. doesn't need to be under that sort of... um, Stimulation. Was Tilly um, involved in the early stages of that? No, we weren't doing it then. We've only really been doing it for about five years. And there was a local fellow, um, he's now director of education in our area, and he started with his two dogs in a school by just taking them in because he could. Um, he did do risk assessments and so forth. And then As it started to grow, he said, can you come and have a look at them? Um, He was very dog savvy himself um, and his dogs were great. And so then local schools started to see his dogs and they say, we want that. Um, And it has been a lot of um, labradoodles in the schools because of um, the tactileness with the students, um, because a lot of them are in the special ed departments and classes or the ED, emotionally disturbed Um, children, um, that's where they benefit the most. Even though we make it that the dogs are there for the benefit of everyone, um, it is those children with challenges that get the most benefit from it. Um, 
but we can't exclude the other kids. So what we do is it's the dog can be a reward system for some children. So those that don't have any difficulties and they're achieving, their reward may be that they come and help train the dog. Um, and it may just be the basics that the dog can do, but they feel they're helping. Um, yeah, so if that's how they use it, it's um, I think teachers these days have so much more to do um, get involved with that um, at schools than when we were there. Um, they've got so much to deal with that the dogs are also therapy for them at the end of the day. Um, and then, of course, yeah, the kids. But it's also a program where the dogs aren't allowed to be at school for more than three days a week because it is quite exhausting for them. Even though it looks like they're not doing a lot, they never really switch off um, at school. So... Yeah, they um, they do a great job, but we do. There are other breeds doing it, and that's awesome. But a lot of the problem is with um, the allergy side of things, um, and the shedding, the hair, and um, the, the smell because they've got to have a area within a room, um, like a staff not staff room, like a principal's office, for example, um, an area there, a safe area, so like a pen or a crate. Um, yeah, if it is a shedding dog you know, that dog does have to be bathed almost every week um, just because of doggy odors that are in schools. Um, they're just um, adamant about that sort of thing. So a lot of the dogs that are coming through now are, are Labradoodles um, just because of that non-shedding and non-smelling hypoallergenic type coat, even though they're not fully hypoallergenic and I I don't like it when breeders say that they are because you can be allergic to the saliva, not just the dander. Um, they do seem to bring out those happy endorphins because of that teddy pear effect that they have. I'm going to ask if you had to think right now in your mind one of the most happiest moments that you had with Tilly, what would it be? I can tell you that straight away. My goodness, and that's not very often for me. It was when I first started with the trainer when her reactivity was really bad and I didn't think she would ever have a friend, uh, a canine friend in the world, apart from the ones she lived with. And this trainer had a Labrador and Pharaoh and she said to me, I'm going to bring him out and he'll she'll be fine because I you know, and I used to feel sick. And I remember we went for a walk and they were both on lead and she didn't, she wasn't reactive or lunging towards him. And then we went to an enclosed sort of area and we let them off and she actually played with him and I cried. <laughs> yeah. So I, that was probably my first happiest. I mean, she made me happy all the time because she was such a loving, beautiful dog but that brought me so much joy that she could play with another dog and be happy herself. Wow. Nice, beautiful moment. <laughs> so simple. <laughs> <laughs> so many things that people just take for granted when they take their dogs to dog parks and things. So, But no, when you've got a reactive dog, there's so much management around it and you get so much heartache as well. Mm. Yep, like we said before, they're, they're all individuals and some have got more challenges mm. than others, but they're all totally worth yep. it. Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Do you want to let people know of your social sites and where they can get some more information on some of the stuff they that you've They certainly about? can because <laughs> I am kind of known in the area as the mad oodle lady. And <laughs> I will just clarify 
as much as I love Labradoodles, I am not a great fan of a lot of oodles in general. So I made it um, that I would do my research so that I could find out breeders that are doing the right thing with this whole oodle manic um, state that we're all in at the moment. So um, I do, I encourage people to contact me if they are thinking of getting an oodle that's, you know, a poodle cross with God knows what these days, um, because I do a lot of research on those breeders because a lot are just crossing dogs. Um, so my choice is the Labradoodle because of the um, health testing that is done to them. And again, I said, even though we breed, I only um, recommend ethical breeders. So our business is Quesadale Farm and we're a boarding, training and grooming facility in the Hunter Valley. So we will source puppies for you and start their training or our breeding name, um, which I do with Cass Holland, is Lovedale Labradoodles. So both sites are on Facebook and we do have a website page too. That's wonderful. Do you just want to spell out that Quesabelle? Yes, it's K-A-Y-S-A-D-A-L-E and then farm, F-A-R-M. Thank you again. Is there anything else that's coming to mind that you'd like to share about Tilly? No, she was just my beautiful, beautiful dog that gave me so much joy but so many tears as well. <laughs> <laughs> But no, she was a great dog. It's just, I just say to people, she ended up being so great, I think, because I had a wonderful trainer and she encouraged me to do what, um, keep that training going to build up her confidence. And um, yeah, because of her is where I, is why I am where I am now. Like, like, yeah. like so many people, I keep, keep saying that, you know, someone gets a dog and the dog changes everything. Oh, if you'd asked me 10 years ago if I would be doing this, I wouldn't have thought so in a million years. I'd have thought you're insane. But um, she was the dog that got me onto training. Yeah. So it was because of her. And partly, I will just say, um, Glenn Cook gave me a lot of confidence as well. You know, I was probably the oldest one on our course um, and the one who couldn't use a computer and all of those sort of things. But he actually gave me a lot of confidence. And um, I've met some really wonderful people through the seminars that have been held there at Dural. Yeah, well, I have a, a lot of respect for, mm. for Glenn and puts on the, a lot of yeah a lot of great resources available there when we can do it. Yeah, and of course, Lauren Hoyle, who I just love because she just – makes people feel so comfortable and gives people so much acknowledgement. Um, yeah, she's a great lady in the dog industry. It has been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you this morning. I loved hearing well, all thank about Thank you so Tilly. much. Anna, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Robert. Look forward to catching up again later. You take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And just like our new listeners in San Jose in the US and Cebu City in the Philippines have shared this podcast with their friends and now they've got even more to talk about. Also feel free to jump into the Facebook group and leave comments or any suggestions. Always looking forward to that. Until next week, stay safe and remember, your dog is family.